Good morning, church family. And uh, I just wanted to say thank you to uh, Macy and, and Kyle Tanner for leading us in worship. And what a, what a great opportunity we have. Uh, thank you also for tuning in today and, and just uh, being with us as we worship the Lord, as we, we hear from His Word. Um, you know, God is going to honor that in each one of our lives. And it's been such a blessing to me uh, to be able to preach through the book of James. And, uh, you know, this morning, uh, we've had many wonderful sermons uh, about this from this great letter that was written by Pastor James to a group of scattered Jews who uh, named the name of Christ. And um, this morning, we return for one last look uh, at this wonderful letter. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of like that last bite of, of, of food that is on the table that it's like too good to pass up. You just want to finish it off. Um, and make you know be satisfied with that but but you know the echoes of this letter are still in my heart and mind and, and I read through it a couple of times this week the, the entire letter uh, as I was preparing for this final message just so that I would have in my heart uh, the fullness of the message that James has brought and it would be certainly my hope that it that um, and prayer that even though we may be done with the book of James for now, after today, uh, but we've completed our sermon series on it, but you have only begun your study and the usefulness of this wonderful letter implementing that into your life. And so this is, this is the, the beginning of that time. You know, it's the end of our time in, in James, but it's the beginning of your time of studying it even deeper. Um, you know, it's always an anxious moment especially for families and friends, when someone is reported missing uh, out in the wilderness. And, and, and search and rescue teams, they, they spring into action, and they, we wait uh, expectantly uh, for any word on, on how things are going or locating the missing person. And, you know, it's a moment of great joy if they find that person alive and well. But it's also a time of great sorrow when they're too late. And, um, you know, as a, as a Christian, as a believer, you're a member of God's search and rescue team. And, and even though every believer is on the team, I find that many never respond to the call to go out into the storm and look for the lost. I mean, can you imagine being lost in the woods and no one came looking for you? You know, when you finally stagger out to civilization, you ask why, why no one came looking. You know, one member of the search and rescue team says, well, it was really cold and stormy out and there was a good show on TV, so I just prayed for you to be okay. Folks, that sounds pretty hollow. Another one says, well, I wanted to be sensitive to your feelings, and I, I thought you might be embarrassed if, if we came looking for you. I mean, really? Another one says, well, I, I wasn't sure you were really lost. I mean, it would have been judgmental of me to imply that, that you were actually lost. Besides, uh, it would have been kind of arrogant for me to say that I'm not lost. After all, we all have our own paths on the journey. Folks, that's not the kind of search and rescue team that I want to come looking for me if I'm ever lost. And you don't either. But let's hear what James has to say about it. In James chapter 5, 
We're going to read verses, just two verses, verses 19 and 20. And this is what Pastor James says. He says, my brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how it challenges us. And I pray, Father, that you would show us the reality of where we are and what we need to be about. Father, thank you so much for this letter from James. I pray that you would uh, convict our hearts. I pray that you would show us uh, where you want us to be. And we ask this in the, the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen. You know, these two verses are a fitting conclusion to this wonderful letter because it expresses the objective of James's entire letter. I mean, his letter is intended to convert the sinner to, uh, from the error of his ways and, and, and to save his soul from death and to, to cover uh, the sin in forgiveness. And, and in that sense, this letter is very evangelistic. And, and I think this is, is wonderful because, I mean, have we not heard that? That this evangelistic emphasis is primarily directed at a person who is within the congregation of the church, who outwardly names the name of Christ, but maybe is inwardly, they're lost. And it's, a, it's you know, one of those people who have a form of godliness, to put it in Paul's terms, but no reality. There is no power in their life. See, this is a call to evangelism. This is a call for evangelism within the church. And I think that's huge because the work of redemption will never be finished until we go home to be with the Lord. And it's the heartbeat of God and the chief work of his church is to, to rescue sinners, to to, to be about redemption in Jesus Christ. You know, believers are responsible to help restore straying sinners to the truth. And that task is often about as pleasant as trying to help a wounded dog. I mean, you're probably going to get bit no matter how gently you try to help. And so I understand why people shy away from it. Because it, it, it's, it's dangerous business. But understand the tragedy of straying from the truth. That's what he says here. Verse 19 says, my brethren, my brethren, if any among you strays from the truth. See this verse 19, he tells us that it's possible. It's absolutely possible for believers to drift away and that we should all be diligent in helping each other spiritually. That we should seek to bring those back in the church who have wandered away from the truth. You know, sometimes we just get out of the habit of, of going to worship or, or attending church. I mean, with COVID-19, I mean, it's been a very common experience. I mean, the church was shut down. I mean, or, or sickness kept us from church. I mean, you're not a pagan. You watched a television preacher, and he's a lot better than your, your pastor. And God doesn't strike you dead, so he must approve. You know, and after a little while, you're too embarrassed to go back because you think that everyone is going to stare at you or something like that. 
But it kind of reminds me of that great hymn that we sing, you know, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. I mean, that's what James is talking about. People who wander away from the truth, backsliding or just taking small steps away and, and not meaning to, 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 to get away from God, but taking one step at a time, little by little, slowly drifting away from their relationship with God. And that's really what James is talking about. We are prone to wander, to wander away because we're prodigals. You remember the famous story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. And really the word prodigal doesn't mean to stray, but it means to immerse oneself in sin, to be reckless, to waste, uh, extravagantly waste, is, is, is to be prodigal. And, and, and we tend to be more interested in stories about folks who destroy themselves in a big way. You know, when they have this, this uh, testimony you know, of, of being in, in drugs or prostitution or prison or all these other things. But the Bible's perspective is that all have sinned and all have wandered away from God. Some do it in a big way. Others do it in a small way. But understand, it is our natural condition to wander away from God. But you see, God wants to bring wanderers home. The lost sheep. He leaves the 99 and goes after the one. He wants to bring wanderers home. But understand this, brothers and sisters. Christians, believers, can wander too. James's focus is on wandering believers. These are brothers and sisters in Christ that he's talking to. You know, some believers, they, they may stop going to church or they stop praying or they, they may even turn against God. And James wants us, he's encouraging each of us to go and bring them back. Bring them back. There's a warning there about straying from the truth and, and one turns him back. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death. That states a general principle, the glory of saving souls from death. I mean, that's God's work. That's what he desires, is to save souls from death. You know, the guiding proverb of evangelism is, is just that. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. I mean, that's, that's why we evangelize, is because of this. Now, I read an article several years ago about a church in Tennessee that baptizes over 500 people every year. And the article gave several reasons for that. And the first one was that this church was in a very booming dif demographic. Uh, that area was growing by leaps and bounds. And so they were, they were out there sharing the faith. The second is that their emphasis was on children and youth ministry. And, and the fact is that their children and their youth camps were very evangelistic in nature because most people uh, tend to accept Christ as their Savior and Lord during those tender ages in life when they're younger. And so they, they were emphasizing evangelism in their, in their camps and things. And the third reason is that the members of this church, they were active and passionate about inviting their friends to come to church. 
And as I thought about that article again, it reminded me of the truth that if everyone in our church invited and brought one person during this next year, we'd double in size. Folks, that's not rocket science. Just do the math. I mean, if every person invited one person, if they brought one person to church with them, we'd double in size. Now, I can only imagine what would happen if we all became passionate about doing that. We'd probably be baptizing 500 people a year also. We have a a booming demographic. We have children and youth ministry that's, that's evangelistic. I mean, all we need to do is get passionate about telling others and bringing them to Jesus. You know, David Sibley, he wrote a book some years ago entitled Living as if Heaven Mattered. And in it, I read about a woman who was meeting with her doctor. And Dr. Judson said, I want to be completely honest with you, Mrs. Thompson. And he paused and then he said, we've discovered cancer in advanced stages throughout your body. We're going to treat it as best we can, but barring a miracle, your days are numbered. Well, Mrs. Thompson's life seemed to flash before her eyes as she tried to absorb this news. And in a few seconds, she she sped through the roller coaster of emotions that everyone would naturally experience upon hearing this news. But a settled sense of peace came over her as she framed her reply to the doctor. She said, Dr. Judson, you say that my days are numbered. And then wiping tears away from her eyes, she managed to smile and she said, well, doctor, so are yours. See, her concern was to share a word for Christ and to direct her doctor towards salvation in Jesus Christ. Folks, that is or it's how it should be the greatest concern for all of us who know Jesus as our Savior. Folks, don't grow weary in doing good. I mean, we don't always see the results. We don't always get to do the harvesting. But the Bible promises us that as we share Christ with others and we sow the seed, we will reap a harvest at the end of the way. And folks, there are people that we need to tell. There are people who need to be saved. You know, that song says, rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Notice also the the marvel of hiding a multitude of sins. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. I know that I am thankful that my sins are covered. And I know that everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ is thankful for that forgiveness of sins. You know, it goes along with Proverbs ten twelve, where uh, it says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love conquers all transgressions. You know, Peter, he also cited uh, that verse and he says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, 
because love covers a multitude of sins. And both of those texts refer to really not broadcasting the sins of others and really towards forgiving one another. But James here, he seems primarily pointing in the direction of Psalm 32.1 that says, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. You know, when a sinner turns to the Lord, he forgives, he forgives all his sins. And if a professing believer persists in sin, I don't believe that he should be assured that he is eternally secure. I mean, listen, the Bible never gives comfort to an unrepentant person. The warning passages that we read in Hebrews are designed to make such people examine their faith, their profession of faith, that in that is, is it genuine or not? And James may also intend here that by leading a sinner to repentance, that you help cover his past or maybe even the potential future sins from public view. But understand this, love is the greatest weapon that we have. Love is the greatest weapon that Christians have. I mean, too oftenly, too often we wrongly think that it's a secret weapon. But folks, I want to encourage you to use encouraging words with others and let them know how wonder, the wonderfully positive things that they are missing out on. When we're turning people back, when we're going out and on that search and rescue team, be positive, be loving. You know, for doubters, listen to them and show them the reasonableness of faith. If they've been hurt by others, attempt reconciliation between the parties. If they're in sin, ask God to show them where that sin will lead. This is very important because, listen, church attendance is not the goal. It's Jesus that they need. A church full of sincere believers should be the, the best place to find out about Jesus Christ because individual, individualistic faith is shallow and unsatisfying. Folks, we need to band together. We need to be all on the same team. See, understand this. The world will not exonerate. The person who's seen another one's home burn passes by and says, you know what, it's none of my business. I mean, we would think that person is a horrible person. And neither will the world nor God exonerate those who see souls dying in sin and do nothing to help. We need to understand that anyone, anyone can be brought back to God. No sin is so great that God cannot accept us. <laughs> And you know what? Some of us here are indeed living proof. Anyone can be brought back to God. So I want to give you some application here and as we continue to, to think about this. So, so you're on God's search and rescue team. And here are your specific instructions. Number one, we might ask the question, well, who should go? If you have knowledge of sin 
in someone's life and you have a relationship with that person, then buddy, you're it. (laughs) You are it. I think that's important because truth is most often received through loving relationships. So if you see it and you know it, you're it. Secondly, I would say this, get the facts. Don't go on hearsay, don't go on gossip. If someone tells you uh, of someone else that is in sin, you should ask, have you personally checked out the facts? And then direct the one telling you not to talk to anyone else. Don't go spreading this around, but go to the sinning person. And if you are the one to go, don't don't go in there with accusations. First, ask some questions to determine the truth. Thirdly, I would say this, check your own heart. I mean, there's no room for being judgmental. Your motive should be to restore the straying one. Not to put them in their place, not to prove that you're right and they're wrong. So make sure that you're under control of the Holy Spirit and that you're displaying the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You know, in Galatians 6, 1, it talks about this word restore. And the word restore was used of mending torn nets and setting broken bones so that they would heal. And what I want you to think about is this. Think about how gently you would want a doctor to do that with you and be that gentle in dealing with a person that is caught up in some sin. Fourthly, I would say this, pray. Don't attempt to restore a strained person before you pray for him or her. I mean, prayer puts you in the right place before God, dependent upon His grace. You can't properly talk to people about God until you've talked to God about people. That's very important. You can't properly talk to people about God until you've talked to God about people. We need to understand that. I would also say make sure that your love for God and your love for your brother or sister are the motives for going. See, you should desire to please God and and you should show that genuine concern for your erring brother or sister. Sometimes we just want to teach them a lesson. Sometimes we get, you know, uh, away from that ourselves and we just want to, we want to point it out. And what I'm saying is don't do that. Make sure that your love for God and your love for your brother or sister is your reason for for going. I would also say go directly to that person. Don't go behind their back. Don't try to campaign for your point of view or try to convince others to do what God is calling you to do. Go alone at first. If they listen, then you've gained a brother or a sister. If they refuse to listen, take two or three with you. And eventually, it may need to be told to the church, according to the the, uh, scripture in Matthew 18. But that's that's where we follow for, for reconciliation conflict. And lastly, I would say this. Think through in advance the proper approach and wording. You know, you could use Nathan as he uh, confronted King David about his sin. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, 
you could use that as 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 a, a, you know a template for going and, and speaking to somebody. But but think about that. Think about what you're going to say in advance. You know, Dr. Howard Hendricks. He tells of a a wife of an alcohol excuse me a, a workaholic pastor uh, who was neglecting his family. And he asked him to speak with her husband. She asked him to speak with her husband, and Hendricks waited until they were alone, and he, he casually asked the pastor, he said, do you smoke? <laughs> and the pastor was shocked by the question, and, and he replied, well, of course not. And he asked him, he said, well, why not? And he, he got the answer that he expected. He said, because my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then Hendricks sprang the trap. He said, then why are you abusing the temple and neglecting your family by overworking. Pow! I mean, be prepared for the one in sin to accuse you of some shortcoming. But don't get into a verbal war over it. Just stick to the issue. See, if you're sitting in your easy chair by the fire, and you know of a brother or sister who is lost in the storm, and God asks you to get up, to inconvenience yourself, to go put your coat on and go out into the storm to rescue that brother or sister. It may not be fun, but it is an expression of genuine love and faith in action. Doing what God calls us to do. But brothers and sisters, that, that is what James is all about. Faith, genuine love, and faith in action. So who do you know that maybe has wandered away? There may be someone in your family. Maybe even you yourself. Maybe you've been drifting. Don't turn against God. Don't turn against Him. Turn back to Him. And I want to encourage you and challenge you today to renew your faith in Him now. Renew your faith in Him. Let's pray. Loving Father, I thank you for this time and I thank you for uh, just the, the, the whole book of, of James and how it has spoken so wonderfully clear to us. And Father, I pray that you would help us to turn people back to you. Father, that we would reach out to those whose, whose love for you has grown cold. Father, that we could bring them back into the fold, that we could bring them back into the warmth of the congregation. And Father, the family, the fellowship of believers. Father, that, that the world would just draw from them and take from them. But Father, I pray that you would help us to, to turn them back to you. And Father, that, that you would forgive our sins. Father, our sins, uh, not only of, of commission, the, the, the things that we've done, but also, Father, forgive us the sins of the things we haven't done that, that you've put on our hearts. And so, Father, I pray that you would renew our faith today. Father, that you would fill us with your hope, with your truth, with your love. And Father, that we would kindle the, the flame between one another, that we would... Um, encourage one another as we see the day approaching, Father. Father, that our hearts would, would burn fervently and passionately uh, for one another and for your kingdom. 
and for your kingdom work. Father, I pray that you would do this today in each of our hearts. And Father, that we would burn fervently for you. We love you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done for each one of us. May we live worthy of being called a Christian. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, maybe today, maybe the Holy Spirit has spoken something to your heart. And um, I want to give you an opportunity to reach out and to talk to someone about that. I mean, you can contact us here at the church, uh, at 6161 South 5th Street in Temple, Texas. Uh, you can check out the description below and get contact information. But we would love to pray with you. We would love to hear about what God is doing in your heart and in your life. We know that He's a powerful God and there is nothing that He can't do. And He can turn anyone back to Himself. He draws people every day. We would love to hear from you.